Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. I don't know if you've noticed, I don't know if I pointed this out or if you've uh, just been doing it, but uh, on on Wednesday nights, uh, as I uh, said last week, I think, it was last week we had the healing meeting? Was that just last week? We, we're going to do that from time to time, uh, you know, fairly regularly on Wednesday nights. And when we're not doing that, I'm typically, not always, but typically I'm either in one of the Gospels or in Psalms. We're kind of bouncing back between those things. I don't want anybody to think I gave the Gospels short shrift on Sunday mornings. Uh, I didn't spend, you know, I don't know how many weeks we spent in Acts. We were in Acts for a long time. We've been in Romans for nine weeks now. Uh, but we didn't spend that long in the Gospels. Uh, per book anyway. I think we spend a total of eight or nine weeks in the Gospels. Uh, but this Jesus is the center of it all, right? We did, that reminds me of a song. Is there, anybody, is there a song about Jesus is the center of the whole Bible? And so I don't want to just, all right, let's get through the Gospels so we can get to this stuff. Uh, we really do need to be studying the life and ministry of Jesus. So on Wednesday nights, we're looking at the Gospels. And, uh, and again, don't hold me to that. If, we, if next week we show up and I'm in Ecclesiastes or back in Kings or something, that's fine. It's just I've found that this is the pattern I've gravitated toward. And uh, yeah, I, f- I find these uh, episodes, sometimes it's, I see something brand new. Sometimes I'm just kind of like, yeah, we just kind of need to hear that again. And sometimes you find a passage that's a little more obscure, which we're going to look at tonight in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. We'll get there. We're not going to start there. We're going to start in Mark chapter 11. Verse 12, now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar off a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now, if you're like me, from probably the very first time you read that passage... You thought, why on earth would he curse a fig tree that didn't have figs on it if it wasn't the season for figs? Uh, He went to see if there might be fruit on it, and then it says, but since it wasn't fig season, there weren't any figs on it. And Jesus curses the tree. Well, this really uh, has a lot to do with the construction of the Hebrew language. Let me offer probably what is a better rendition of this verse just by switching the order of two phrases he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it for it was not the season for figs and in that sense the season for figs would be the harvest season meaning there could be figs on this tree because they had not been picked yet okay it wasn't harvest time. It wasn't the fullness of the season. That's, a, that, that's certainly a, a, from, from what yeah, I haven't done. You know, I didn't spend two days researching fig trees. But I did look at uh, some language commentaries there. And they say the, the season for figs really does mean the fullness, the ripeness, the picking season. And so therefore he had a right to expect that there would be fruit on this tree. So uh, when he, uh, hoping that he would find something on it for it was not picking season for figs. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. And in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So, uh, 
what I would like to point out before we get into where this really goes, because this sets the stage, as, as most of you know, not all of you, but this sets the stage for uh, what he, we hear him say in uh, verses 23 and 24, right? But he did curse this tree that apparently was a healthy tree, except for the fact that it wasn't bearing fruit. Uh, this fig tree was created to do what? Make figs. That's what that fig tree was for. It was probably, um, and I don't want to speak to a fig, about a fig tree as if it's sentient, you know. But this was a healthy tree that was enjoying its life as a tree. It was a blessed tree. It was a well-watered tree. It was, there were leaves. But it wasn't doing what it was created to do. So in that sense, it was worthless. You know, and this is something we've got to be so careful about, especially us who believe correctly that God desires to bless us. Why does he desire to bless us? Number one reason, he loves us. He loves us. Why do you, why do you desire to give your children good things? Why do you desire, people that you love, especially your family, don't you desire, don't you do as much as you can for them? How many of you have ever wished you had more just so you could do more? And God has no lack. And as we just read in Romans, why would he withhold anything from us? He didn't withhold his son from us. But he also makes it very, very clear. I expect you to bear fruit. This is how you please the Father, that you bear much fruit. And we can do a whole other message about what that is, what, what fruit he expects from us. But even though we might be healthy, we might be speaking faith-filled words over ourselves, and so we're enjoying good health, we're enjoying prosperity, we're enjoying good relationships, wholeness in every aspect of life, but are we bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? Are we living the gospel and preaching the gospel, right? Is the way we are enjoying our salvation producing other saved souls? Is it contributing to other people experiencing and enjoying their salvation? Is it a giving? Is it a lifestyle of giving? And I'm not just talking about the offering, although I'm certainly talking about that. What made Jesus so great? What did he say? My meat is to do the will of him who sent me. That was his sustenance. Are we focused on doing the will of God? Are we pouring our lives out in ministry to others? Because that's what we're created for. Now, I'm not saying, better watch out. Because if you're just enjoying life and if you haven't gotten anybody saved in the last 30 days, Jesus is going to speak to you and kill you. That's, that, that's not my message. I am saying, though, that this was just, it always struck me as kind of a harsh reaction just because he was hungry and there were no figs on it. Even if, even if it was the season for figs, as, as I think it was, in, in the sense that he had a right to expect them to be there, why speak death to a tree? I think, part, I think he did that and the disciples heard him. I think this was part of the message they were supposed to get. Everything's here for a purpose, and if it's not fulfilling its purpose, it doesn't matter how healthy it is otherwise. All right? So this next section, really not going to do a whole lot with. I just want to read it, just keep everything in context, and there's one little thing I'll point out, even though it really doesn't point to anything else I'm going to be saying later. In verse 15, then, it says, uh, So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying them, 
Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Uh, (laughs) When we did a uh, class, I don't know if they still do this, Chris, you can tell me. You can just nod your head or shake your head or just tell me after the service. Every class that I heard in the military had followed a formula. It would start with the instructor saying, Today you will receive a demonstration, an explanation, and a practical application of, whether it's basic rifle marksmanship, uh, one particular weapon system, a movement technique, whatever. But that's what they would say. You will, that's, this was the introduction. You'll receive a demonstration, an explanation, and a practical application. And, and so then before they would teach you anything, they would have, if they're teaching you marksmanship, they would show a guy in a, in a firing position shooting at a target, shooting at a pop-up target, whatever, somebody firing the M203, uh, something that, to show you what it looks like, and then they will explain to you what you saw. And it was a pretty effective technique because you already had the context rather than just somebody up there saying a bunch of words and you're trying to picture, well, you're, you've seen the guy do it. Uh, and then the practical application was the hands-on. Now you're going to do it, all right? And so this is, I don't think this is exactly what's going on here. (laughs) But Jesus didn't just gather the people and teach them about this verse in the Bible. You know, uh, you shall not make, what is it? Uh, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Uh, We're going to look at this verse, said Jesus. But no, first he goes in and he cleanses the temple. He kicks everybody out, turns the tables, drives the money changers out, and then says, now let me share this verse with you. (laughs) You've had your demonstration. Here's the explanation. So anyway. Practical application then, I don't know. But he, he says, except you better believe that none of the people who heard that teaching, who saw that, decided to set up a booth to sell doves the next Sabbath, right? I love what it says next, though, that the scribes and the Pharisees at that point started thinking of ways to destroy him because they feared him. They feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. I think they feared him at that moment also because he scared them. I was like, man, this is a guy who really is serious. He's passionate. One guy goes in there and drives them all out. And the people really responded to this. You know, it tells us elsewhere that the crowds followed him because he taught as one with authority and not as one of the scribes and the Pharisees. So just his manner of teaching drew a crowd. And then to go in there and do something like this. I mean, he talks like the guy who really is in charge. And he was. So anyway... Let's, uh, let's roll on here. When evening came, he went out of the city. That's verse 19. Verse 20. Now, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. This is the next day, right? And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed, and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And this, of course, this, this is the scripture passage that Brother Hagin based his ministry on. Uh, but I want to point out a couple things. Most of it, I have no doubt you've seen before. This is, this is a stir-you-up-by-way-of-reminder kind of message, all right? 
I do want you to see, though, uh, that while the vast majority of Jesus' healings were more or less instantaneous, you know, there's a couple, there's one where the, the guy, you know, Jesus uh, laid hands on him or touched him or did whatever he did to heal the blind guy, and he said, uh, uh, you know, can you see? And the guy said, well, I see men, but they look like trees walking around. You know, it's, it's, in other words, I was totally blind, now I've got blurry vision. So Jesus prayed again or touched him again and restored his sight completely. So here was a healing in stages. Uh, talks about the lepers who were healed as they went. Okay? But most of them, uh, if you take the scripture at face value, without trying to, there's nothing in there that leads me to believe anything other than when he laid hands on the multitude, when it says he healed their diseases, they were healed. Uh, So the vast majority of these Jesus laid hands on them, spit on them, whatever he did, and they were healed. They got better right now. Uh, And I think that's something that we ought to believe for and hope for and expect. But as you've heard me say, practically every time we have a healing service, don't get discouraged if you don't feel something right now. Believe that you received and continue to speak to it. You continue to thank God for the healing that you know he already purchased, right? Heard me say it a hundred times. Uh, and here's an example where Jesus spoke to this tree. Now, what he said was, "May no one, let no one ever eat fruit from you again. Uh, he didn't say wither and die, uh, he, but he spoke to it. And I want you to notice that at that moment, the tree didn't wither and die. He just said that. And then the next day they're walking by and they could see that from the roots, it had withered. And Peter, Rabbi, look. And what, is this, what does this indicate? It indicates to me that the moment he spoke to that tree, that tree began to die where its life comes from. That death began to work up through the, the trunk and the branches and eventually the leaves. Because there's still no fruit. And so in one sense, the word that he spoke absolutely did manifest uh, instantaneously. Something began to happen from the time those words left his mouth. I'm reminded, although I didn't, I'm just now reminded, I didn't think of it when I was jotting some notes down here. But of course you remember Daniel. Uh, when he prayed, and this angel came to deliver this message to him. But Daniel waited three weeks for this answer. Was it three weeks? I think it was, 21 days. And the angel said, I was dispatched to you, Daniel, the day you began praying. But the prince of Persia withstood me these 21 days. Now, that's a mysterious passage there. The point is, it wasn't like God's up there in heaven saying, let's see how long he'll pray. Let's see how patient he is. Let's, just, let's teach him something about endurance here uh, before I release you, angel. No, that angel was dispatched to answer his prayer. There was some battle going on in the heavens. There was a spiritual battle going on. But the answer was on its way. And I think we have to remember that when we pray, when we speak to something, that answer... God's not holding that thing back. It might be that God has placed that answer at a certain point in your life, and he answers it, as far from your perspective, by guiding your steps, ordering your steps, so that you encounter that answer, whether it's the right person, right? The, the, the right book. I, was, uh, I, I shared this in, a, in an essay 
uh, or in one of my newsletter articles, but I'm still fairly convinced. I'm not offended. I'm just fairly convinced that most of you don't read that. Uh, I, don't wanna, I really don't want to show hands because I'll, if I'm right and five people, yeah, I'm like, dang it, I am right. So, but anyway, if you read it, God bless you. I, I, I write it. I, 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 really, I want you to read it. Uh, they're little, usually mini-sermons. Uh, sometimes it's more focused on what's going on in the church right now. But years ago, I actually wrote this one over in Farmer City, and then I imported it here a couple of years ago. But I was, uh, I was actually, I shared this uh, story that I was walking back. I, I lived, uh, like I do now, uh, relatively close to the church. I lived uh, maybe a mile by sidewalk and street, and I was walking back from lunch one day. And it was winter. And we'd had quite a bit of snow, but the weather was beginning to warm up. And as I'm walking down uh, uh, 150 there through town, on the way back to the church, I hear this cracking noise, and I turn around just in time to see there was this large Quonset hut. Uh, I don't even remember what the business was. Uh, and I turned around just in time to see this avalanche, this snow cascading down all at once, just it was covered with snow, and two seconds later, all the snow was on the ground in a pile. It was really something to see, and not something I could ever ha- remember having seen before. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you go by and you see the snow. Sometimes you see a little l- less snow, and sometimes you see, oh, there was snow there, and there's not now. But to see all that snow dropping like that, uh, and I began to ponder, even on my way as I continued my walk, you know, that's not something, it, that happened all at once. It happened, I'll put it this way, it happened suddenly. But it didn't happen instantly. What caused that to happen? Well, why was the snow there? It was cold. There was moisture. The snow accumulated. It stuck. Uh, and uh, something, I don't know enough about uh, chemistry and physics to talk about how the snow actually adheres to the roof of that building. Uh, but as long as it was cold, it was going to be stuck. Well, heat goes on in the building. Sun shines on the building. And little by little, that metal warmed up. And just that tiny layer of snow that's stuck to the building, that snow begins to melt. Nothing is happening. Nothing's different to the snow on the outside. But that snow that's next to the building is, is, is melting. And therefore, that bond that's holding, you know, six, eight inches of snow to the building is being broken. Little by little, that warmth spreads until uh, there's no longer enough of a bond there to support the load of that snow. And so then it doesn't just drip off the, off the roof. It might at the beginning, but you hit a certain point and you get a suddenly. That whole mountain of snow comes down at once. It was a process that likely took days. But the, ul- the ultimate manifestation happened suddenly. I want you to see that when you speak to... Let me, let, let, I'll come back around to that. When Jesus said, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, you probably don't need to be reminded of this, but, I, but I, I can't help it. He didn't say, whoever prays to God to remove this mountain. Or whoever asks God to do something about this mountain. What do we speak to? Are we speaking to God in this? In this? No, we're speaking to the mountain. What's the mountain? Hmm? Cir- whatever that circumstance is, whatever it is that's standing between you and where you're supposed to be in terms of your relationship with God, in terms of your experiencing the manifest blessings of God. If you are sick, then your mountain is sickness. If you are broke, then your mountain is debt or poverty. And these are things that God has not ordained for us. 
Do you have a need in your life? What is your need? And is, is it a legitimate need? Because there's all kinds of them. Speak them out. Man, I was just, I lay my case before God. And make, don't ever do this with a, a raised fist. Just do it as a confident, expected, uh, expectant son or daughter who knows that you're in right standing with your father. Father, I've got this need. I've got this bill that's haunting me. I've got this pain in my, in my back or my leg. I've got this diagnosis. Uh, this is a legitimate need, Father, and you have promised to supply all my need according to your riches and glory. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for supplying my need. And then, what do you do? Speak to the need. Speak to the need. I speak to this sickness. I speak to this pain, this inflammation, this whatever. Anything that rises up against good health, I command it to leave my body. Every bone and muscle, every gland and organ, every blood vessel, every joint, ligament, tendon, nerve cell, and tissue of my body and all the spaces in between, I declare that I am healed and sickness has to go. And what happens at that moment? If, if I'm actually experiencing something, it might just go like that. But I guarantee you something is happening power of God enters your body to effect a healing and a cure and something is working from the inside and that healing is working its way to the outside now it might look like this sometimes like I said sometimes and we see it with Jesus ministry you've, you many of you have experienced it and we, of course we've all heard stories of ministers and people who've been blessed by certain ministries where they were prayed for and it was like a bolt of lightning the prayer was instantly answered Sometimes it's more of a matter of a longer process. We see a slow recovery, ground being gained back, working our way through the grace of God out of a financial hole, etc. The, the healing of a relationship. But I think probably, perhaps the majority of the time, what we, what we see is that God is, his word is at work behind the scenes. This power of God is working and it's a slow it may start out as a slow process but we hang on and th by through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God always remember though that faith and patience is not us waiting until God decides to do something God does it he did it. in the case of healing he already did it but when we claim it, that's when that begins to work in our lives. We speak to that mountain. We thank God that our words have power. And we continue to thank God. We continue to operate as if we know that it's going to happen, this, that this change is going to be manifest in our lives. And we might feel just a little bit better, a little bit better, but I submit to you that day is coming when there's going to be a suddenly. I think I feel a little better, might be a little bit, and then, then you start to get a little bit down because you're like, oh, if this is all the better I've gotten in two weeks, it's going to be a year before I feel good. It's going to be two years before I feel good. But no, you keep speaking it. You keep thanking him for it. Keep believing because the next day might be your suddenly. Keith Moore even talks about the mountain. You speak to this mountain. And what we want is a volcanic explosion or, again, a gigantic bolt of lightning that just destroys the mountain. But what happens is a little bit of sunlight shines on a snow cap and that trickles down and starts to etch away, uh, work its way down through this mountain. 
And so we start to see the snow melt, and we start to see the erosion, we start to see, then things speed up over the course of time until this thing becomes a raging river. Then you've got avalanches, and then you've got whole sides of the mountain being washed away. Uh, So it starts out slowly, but then once it starts to happen and picks up steam, it can happen very suddenly, and that mountain's gone. The other thing is this. What Jesus is talking about here is what? The authority of the believer. Again, he, he says, whoever says unto this mountain. That's him granting it. We've been authorized to speak to our mountains. Not just granted access to God, to talk to God about our mountains. He's authorizing us to speak to these things. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, verse 24, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. I think that's the right way to read that. I, don't think it, it, I think sometimes we read it and it says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, I mean, that's kind of what mine says of where the comma is, believe that you receive them and you will have them. I say, I would read it like this, Therefore I say to you, what, what so things you, uh, what, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them. When are we supposed to believe that we receive them? When we pray, not when we see the answer. And it's our believing that we see them, uh, when we believe, when we pray that we receive these things, we'll have whatever we say, according to Jesus. It's not according to living word. That's not according to Kenneth Copeland. Those are the words of Jesus, right? Now, verse 25. I wanted to hit this real quick. I think we 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 can go five more minutes anyway. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I want to look back at Psalm 51 really quick. This was a discussion that came up not too long ago because of another verse that we'll look here in a second. But when talking about uh, you know, forgiving, you know, when Jesus said, if you have anything against anyone, I think the implication there is uh, when we're supposed to forgive him. Forgive him what? The things that they did that caused us to have something against them. In other words, if they've sinned against me, I need to forgive them. Here in Psalm 51, just the first two verses. And this, of course, as you know, is David's famous prayer of repentance after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet about his sin with Bathsheba. And it says here, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, all those words are similar, but they are three different words in uh, Hebrew. And uh, a transgression, probably the best definition for that word is a rebellion or an act of rebellion. Sin is an offense. And the word iniquity is translated perversity or a moral fault or flaw. I would put it this way, bringing that over into the New Testament, the difference between iniquity and transgression, and this goes right along with what we're talking about in Romans. Iniquity is the sin nature. Why do I transgress the law? Why do I transgress the teachings of Jesus? Because I am iniquitous. Iniquity is the sin nature. Iniquity is sinfulness. Transgressions are acts of sin. So when Jesus says, when you have uh, ought against a brother, uh, forgive him. When you stand praying, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. 
You see, that's important because we're not talking about losing our salvation for holding on to an offense. We're going to be robbed of some things, certainly, if we hold on to offense. Offense is a killer. It's a faith killer. But we're not going to go to hell. What does it mean? We're talking about trespasses here. We're talking about individual acts of sin. And people talk about, well, God forgives you, but you're always going to suffer the consequences of your sin. I don't believe you have to. Uh, but if we're, if we're going to, to insist that others suffer the consequences of their sin, then God's going to insist that we suffer the consequences of ours. Look at this. This is the passage I was referring to here just a second ago. And I can't remember, there were a couple guys, we were talking about this not too long ago. Uh, in John chapter 20, verse 19. This is after the resurrection. And uh, verse, uh, beginning verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Once again, this is uh, an authorizing of sorts. But he's not, this is not a, uh, I guess a, a very Catholic reading of this would be, this is, this is a, sort of this priestly authority to forgive iniquity. You know, when, when, when Jesus walked into a room and said you know, to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. This was extraordinarily offensive to the Jewish mind. It's like, because the only thing you can forgive is what somebody does to you. And they knew this man had done nothing to Jesus. He was talking about this guy's iniquity, not his trespasses. Well, that's a sin against God. Who but God can forgive that kind of sin? And the answer is nobody. But Jesus actually had that authority. And so, but that's not the authority he is giving us. He's not giving us uh, the, the, uh, the authority to absolve people of their iniquity. All he's doing is saying, hey, listen, if you don't hold it against them, heaven's not going to hold it against them. Why does this matter? Do you remember, number one, what Jesus said on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And then, more recently, we looked at in Acts as Stephen is, is being martyred. Where is that? Acts chapter 7. Did I give you that verse? Yeah. This, I mean, this is, his last, this is his dying breath. He's already said, I see Jesus. I, see the, I, I can see the angels. And then he says, he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He's talking about the people that are throwing rocks at him to death. He's being beaten to death with rocks and he cries out to God to forgive the people who are stoning him. Do not charge them with this sin. I think I asked you this when we were going through Acts. Do you think God answered that prayer? I think he did. I think he did. It's a pretty awesome thing. And if we're going to walk free from the consequences of our sin, we'd better be very, very free with the grace and the mercy toward those who sin against us. Man, do we get bent out of shape easily in this society, don't we? I mean, I hate to use the word snowflake because it's been overused so much, but we are a sensitive, petty people. Not us. 
Not, not that I'm going to talk about those. I'm going to say we, I mean those people outside this church because we're all bigger and better than that, aren't we? We need to be, right? Uh, but wow, it just doesn't take much to set us off. I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't tweet, I don't Instagram, but I still do Facebook. And uh, man, it's a blessing and a curse. Blessing and a curse. I love, I, man, I love being able to stay in touch with people. I get, I get uh, uh, notified of so many great articles and stuff, but holy cow, nothing brings me down more than seeing a believer get on Facebook and just rant and explode over the stupidest stuff and, and really blow their witness too. You know? Uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, again, but there's certain lifestyle things that bug me, but I'm talking about just going on there and uh, just the venom and the language and everything else. It's like, wow, quick, go change your profile. I don't want them to know you have anything to do with Christianity or, or, or church or anything like that. And, you know, people get over it. And, and we live in a society where a lot of people don't even blink at that. Yeah, why not? Sure, you know, but... Guess what? To be holy is to be different, right? Uh, there ought to be a difference in, in how we react to these things. As you will see in Praise and Worship Team, you can make, 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 be making your way up here. One of the marks, and I don't think anybody does a better job of uh, uh, nailing this down than Peter. So when we get to Peter's epistles, which are quite a bit in the future still, uh, one of the things he talks about as the mark of, of a mature believer is stability. Stability, how our, our demeanor and our words and our, uh, the way we live is not affected by the things that are going on around us. Because what we're constantly responding to is the life of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us and is living through us. Amen. Why don't you stand up? You've been authorized. You have been authorized to speak to the mountains in your life. You've been authorized to forgive those who sin against you. You've been authorized to expect, anticipate, answered prayer. You, can, you have the right to believe it's yours from the moment you ask for it. And we've just begun to tap into that privilege. We're not walking in all of the things that we are authorized to do. We're not doing everything we're authorized to do. But we can change that. But we've got to be bold. We got to be bold enough to start speaking to these things in our lives, and I believe personally, uh, and I can I can say this has worked in my life. One of the best ways to train your tongue is to pray in tongues daily. What you are doing is yielding the most powerful member of your body to the Holy Spirit, and I believe that has real consequences. Uh, in every other uh, facet of our conversation. So I'm going to make a couple of invitations tonight. One, as always, is for salvation. Um, no first-timers here. Almost positive everybody's in here is saved. But the, the authority that we have to speak to mountains, heal, to be healed, see our needs met manifestly, all of that is ours because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you've never received that work personally on your behalf, you need to. That's what salvation is, recognizing I'm a sinner. My iniquity is something I can't undo. Father, only you can do that through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, be my Lord. Thank you, God, for raising Jesus from the dead. If you've personally prayed that prayer, you're saved. If you haven't, you're not. So I want you to come up here and give your heart to Christ if you haven't. If you have, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Because when we're talking about bearing fruit, we bear fruit by doing the things that God has called us to do. 
And if God called you to do something, you cannot do it without being filled with the Spirit. Because God calls us to do things that we need Him to do. All right? Not that you can't do anything, but you can't fulfill God's uh, plan for your life. Now, I know most of you have been baptized in the Spirit. But if you haven't, if you've never experienced that since you were, since you were saved, I want, I want to pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Also, if you have, you've been born again, Spirit-filled, but you still have not uh, ever successfully prayed in tongues, received your prayer language, uh, you can't. Don't give up on that. And don't just sit there and go, and wait for God to breathe for you. Wait for God. So they spoke, they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. They took a breath. Their vocal cords were working. That was their lungs, their vocal cords, their mouth. But the Spirit formed words there. It's one of the purest acts of faith that you can do. So not only are you training your tongue, you are training in faith. Because it's a, as, every, as, as I'm just letting out a stream of praying in tongues, I am constantly believing, moment by moment, that this is a prayer. That the Holy Spirit is making this a perfect prayer. And make it a daily discipline. So I would just, if, if you've struggled receiving your prayer language, uh, t- as we sing this song, if you want to just practice praying in tongues, I encourage you to do that. If you want me to pray with you, just lay my hands on you again just to agree with you, I'd be glad to do that. You don't need that. But I, I want you to get that because I think it's an important uh, tool in our belt, right? Uh, so those are the three invitations. Salvation, baptism, Holy Spirit, and your prayer language, tongues. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the authority you've given us. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.